Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. Today, I'm going to take a different trend and perhaps not that much of a different trend for those who have been listening to me for these last 10 or so podcasts. I referenced an indigenous group called the Pima Indians, some who live in the United States and some who live in Mexico, and how their common gene pool and yet separate modern diets have been disastrous for the American Pima Indians, but not so much the Mexicans. And so that is a almost a stereotypic story to tell, though it's a perfect example to tell because of a common gene pool separated by international border and therefore the commercialism in the North and not the South. It also is true of all Pacific Islanders. It's also true, and so whether you want to talk about one group of Pacific Islanders or not, the Samoans, the Maori, the Torres Island people between Papua New Guinea and, and Australia, the um, Solomon Islands, Palau, et cetera, et cetera. They're all the same thing. Uh, the friend of mine who died recently was 100% Samoan. He uh, grew up, uh, he was born in Samoan, but grew up in the United States and so on, in primarily Connecticut. And uh, I knew him. Uh, a number of a couple of times there. He was big. He was huge. And I don't know if you know this, but the highest ethnic uh, majority minority of National League football players are Samoans. So Samoans are big people, big boned people. So are the Hawaiians, and so are the Polynesians in general. They're big. And the you know prior to World War II, there was not this pandemic of diabetes, obesity, and all the miserable deaths thereof. And I was just reading in uh, the UN, the World Health Organization, as of uh, 2021, that there are now more obese individuals in the world than there are those starving. And there is a big connection between those two, because actually both populations are starving of nutrients one has that overnutrition of calorie devoid of any sort of nutrition. And so they have all these calories, no nutrition. 
And also they have a gene pool that predisposes them to storage, to save, because that was the benefit of their environment over thousands of years. I bring that last part up, not because I want to focus on the ethnicity, though that that's part of it. We can kind of recognize it as an ethnicity when we talk about it in this large population. And by the way, it's not just Pacific Islanders and not just an indigenous people, but it is primarily globally indigenous people, Aboriginal people. Indians, if you will. I know that's a misnomer, but I guess it's been accepted in the United States. So, you know, it is gross. It is gross to the point that it's not like, oh, what can we do? We need to educate them of diet from about diabetes. You know, no, I don't think, well, I think that's helpful. Any kind of education is helpful, but that's not changing the environment. It's a little bit like saying, we brought in all the gasoline and put it throughout your community, and we're now going to teach you to be careful about fire, but, but be careful about using matches. I, I think that we gave them the danger, and then to say, be careful about using this stuff that we brought into your community, whether you're thinking of an island or whether you're thinking, again, of the Pima Indians or the Aborigines of Australia, we're really dealing with a pretty common gene pool, or at least a common pattern of ancestry that have been devoid of all these modern foods. They are us. They are separated by, they can't, they have a greater difficulty by a lot in terms of being able to accommodate this new diet. But I think simply saying, let's, let's counsel you on doing this. It it speaks to two things. What are your genes? And if you're in the United States, I know you're a mix of four or five different, perhaps European, perhaps black, perhaps Hispanic, perhaps Aboriginal, Native American. It it could be anything. So we're now mixing this pot with a great big stick. And so it does behoove us to know about our genes, not to the point of this sort of deep narcissism. Our ancestry is interesting to find we came from. And I think that just speaks to those who are interested in knowing about where they came from. But I'm speaking of it being a filter for for this diet. And I don't think every diet needs to be so genetically special to you, but you need to know if you're dying from the diet because of your genes. So how do you get that kind of information? You get that kind of information by getting a genomic analysis to start there. And of course, you get the blood work to sort of say, hey, what's going on here? So there's this predisposition globally, the highest, I'll, I'll read you that that um, that quote, which is very brief. It says, according to the World Health Organization, there are now more obese people than hungry ones, a billion compared to 800 million. And that's only a couple of years out of date. And I'm sure that trend's going to go up more and more. And so you can go back and look at pictures of the Pima Indians of 100 years ago, and you know certainly before World War II, and say they were all quite fine. You can go back and look at the Pacific Islanders of all the various, you know, the Tahitians, the Samoans, the uh, uh, Marianas, the uh, Palauans, and so on and so forth, and see that that's a common past and it's a common pattern. The point is, it should be illegal to bring in this kind of food. It should be illegal to make this kind of food for really anybody. So we are, they are simply the, I hate to say the canary in the in the mine shaft is far bigger than a canary and they are not a minority in that regard. They're, it's an alarmingly large 
size of people, but they represent us. All these people that come in that now I see as clients that we do the blood work and for me to be telling them, you know, this food isn't working for you. And they go, well, what do you mean? Everybody else is eating it. Well, you need to buck up and we need to look at the bigger picture and you need to take personal responsibility about you and your genes. I'm sorry we got here and I'm sorry we're not still all huddled in in stone caves and share almost identical genes. And so therefore we can eat the same thing. We're no longer that way. We have all the privileges of modernity, all the luxuries that have come this far with us, be it the freezer, the, the refrigerator, the oven, transportation, et cetera, et cetera. But the processed food is still killing us. We're going slowly. Those I've already mentioned are going far more quickly and it's a torturous life to live. I'm going to play you a song of something that almost makes me cry every time listening to it. I will tell you about the singer of this song um, in a second uh, after the fact, and you'll probably know who he is because it's a, a beautiful song. Here we go.
That song is such a powerful song. And so what you listened to and what I watched was a video. It's had over a billion views, by the way, by a singer, a Hawaiian singer, by the name of Israel Is, as he's known, Kamakawa Wiwole. I'm sure I butchered his last name. His That song became popular after he died. He died in 1997 at the age of 38. And I'll read something of him so you understand completely. So he was Hawaiian. He was um, indigenous, if you will. And um, let me say this. Uh, at one point, he weighed 757 pounds. He was six feet two. He obviously had a obesity, and diabetes. Uh, he had chronic medical problems, including respiratory and cardiac issues. He died at the age of 38. Um, and it was a long time. It was a, it was a life of suffering and that he had, he wasn't proudfully huge. He was, he was big and he couldn't turn it around. And guess what? I don't think it's his fault. I think we say, well, this is the way of the world. This is how it ends up. We the, the victors bring in the diet that they have, and if you can't accommodate, you die. Yeah, that's the cold and hard truth. But I'm hoping we're entering into uh, an era of cohabitation with each other that we can agree on what is healthy to eat and not. And what is unhealthy for some is clearly toxic for others. And so the issue is that we have to stand up for that and say that it is the issue for all of us. It's not just one Coca-Cola or the Pepsi or whatever else, and there are corporate rights to be able to do this around the world. It, it is wrong and it's unhealthy. And this is really what we're spreading. And all of this has happened really post-World War II in all the Pacific Islanders, perhaps a little earlier in Hawaii because they were part of the United States, etc., and perhaps a little earlier in New Zealand. But that's a reality. And let me read you another reality. And this uh, comes from an article about indigenous people worldwide. And it says this, international experts have signaled that indigenous peoples all over the world could face extinction this century unless an obesity-driven diabetes epidemic was stopped. So how do you think that's going to stop? If you think it's going to stop by education only, hey, don't eat that Twinkies. The, the this is the this is like leaving the drugs on the table and telling somebody don't have it who you know is a known addict for that specific drug. Is that really a a wise thing to do, or are you really trying to not make a change? And so that's the seriousness of this. That's how big this has gotten. 
We saw it happening post-World War II in the 50s and the 60s. and Same story. The numbers have just gotten bigger. It's not like, and let me read a little more. Under that, it says, we are dealing with the biggest epidemic in world history. Without urgent action, there certainly is a real risk of a major wipeout of indigenous communities, if not total extinction with this, within this century. This epidemic affects the original inhabitants of Northern and Southeast Asia, Australia, Pacific, North and South America. The indigenous peoples are particularly prone to type two diabetes, primarily caused by obesity, provoked by their rapid transition during the 20th century to Western alimentation and lifestyle. Inside the population of hunter-gatherers, the winning gene was the one which allowed an increased fat storing in times of plenty for survival of famines. The biological pattern was documented in many indigenous communities. This is a thing they have in common, is a predisposition to storing. By modern lifestyle, but modern lifestyle while continuous concentrated income of food energy and less physical effort. It tends to boil it down. They needed a, to eat other things and work out more. I don't really think that's the answer here. I think that's been given for the last 50 years. This upset the metabolism of the people carrying this gene configuration. The rapid cultural transition over one to two generations of many indigenous communities in a Western diet and sedentary lifestyle has led to obesity replacing infectious diseases as the number one threat to their survival, says a Canadian expert on the situation. This biological pattern was documented in many indigenous communities, but modern lifestyle brought continuous concentrated income of food, energy, and less physical effort. What we're talking about is that euphemism called overnutrition. In other words, it's devoid of nutrition and rich in calories. The Dorito syndrome is what I call it. Type 2 diabetes syndromes are now being fought in indigenous children as low at very low ages. Among the Torres Strait Islanders, which is the top, just beyond the top of Australia and just below Papua New Guinea, children as young as six have been diagnosed with diabetes. And teenagers have found to have high blood pressure and high cholesterol. These children are prone to develop heart attack, stroke, and renal failure and blindness at much younger age, said this person. Half the adult population in some indigenous communities is threatened by this condition. 50% of adults on the Pacific island of Nauru and up to 45% of Sioux and Pima Indians in the United States and up to 30% of the Torres Strait Islanders in Australia. We know those percentages are going to climb higher and higher and higher. But what do you think of the idea that international experts say we're headed towards a first human extinction event? It's not global warming for them. It's the processed food. It's the overnutrition. Anyway, it can go on and on. And you know what the situation is. And the situation is the same in your community. The percentages are a lot lower. You don't have their purity of genes. And it's diluted, for better or worse, by your ancestors, whoever they mix with. So I just couldn't help but just hitting that nail on the head and saying, this is where we are. And this is, you know, I don't know if he's watching my videos. I talk about lab testing and so on and so forth. It's just imperative. And I don't mean your basic serum test. Yes, that's a place to start. I don't mean just looking at, well, for your fasting glucose, which is high, you have a high 
insulin. I think that's like basic lab test of 1960s, maybe 70s. And so when a doctor, if that's as far as their intellectual prowess is going to go to help you, that's a start. But you need this. I'm saying that you need to take this responsibility on your shoulders to make a change because it is not going to happen by doctors alone. Please do not believe that. I'm not saying that they're bad people. I am saying that they are not trained and they are not financially incentivized to make that change. In fact, they are boxed in by their scope of practice not to do that. That's the reality, folks. I don't mean to be a, a a heretic in this thing, but there are plenty of people that think just like me. Therefore, that's why I try to bring in other panels to paint a larger context to say, see, this is what's happening to you. And guess what? There's a lot of things you can do to change things. You can't pull back a damaged brain from a 91-year-old who's been in Alzheimer's for 20 years, that's a little unrealistic. But as one begins to go into cognitive, mild cognitive impairment or cognitive impairment, going to dementia, going to Alzheimer's, going to maybe even Parkinson's, you can do something about that progression. You can step in, whether it's you, yourself, or those around you, it's time to buck up and saying, this is it. I don't mean being that's that really irritating little person in the back of the social gathering saying, you shouldn't be eating that, you shouldn't be eating that. That's not the approach. You don't approach people to cause a conflict. You lead by an example. Clean up your own act and know why and how you cleaned up your own act. So um, that's a little bit of a rant. It's just that when you think of that song, when I think it is, and by the way, on that video I saw the clapping and the sounds you saw, that was, it, it melded into his funeral. And that was taking his ashes. And there were, it looked like thousands of people uh, on and around the boat as they dumped his ashes into the waters off of Hawaii. It was incredible. And I'm sure you've seen this uh, as well. But that's the story behind it. It's part of all of us. His voice, his purity, his beauty uh, came out of, his hurt, no doubt. He, we were listening to his hurt sing to us somewhere over the rainbow. Till next time. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Dr. Goldkamikin for a brief reminder of something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode. You've heard me talk long enough and many different episodes, but what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just want to reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode, uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So what you need to do is to send me your questions at drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. So that's D-R-G-O-L-D-K-A-M-P at K-E-T-O-N-A-T-U-R-O. P-A-T-H.com, Dr. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonaturopath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you cho choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of a, just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions and uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.